true believers are dead to sin. Therefore, they ought not to follow it. And Mr. Barnes embellishes that. We are dead in fact to sin. It is just as absurd to suppose that a Christian, a follower of Christ, should desire to live in sin as that a dead man should put forth actions of life. I trust, as always, that the Lord's going to bless you up one side and down the other as we fellowship together here for the next several moments. I'm going to attempt to wrap up a teaching tonight that we began last week. It's one we've titled, Contending for the Faith. Contending for the Faith. We're in the book of Jude, and Jude set out to express a certain sentiment. But right in the middle of that, it's like Holy Spirit says, Wait a minute, I have something else for you to write to encourage the folks. And that which he changed up and began to express was that we should contend for the faith. Now listen, we live in some really difficult times, some perilous times, but some times of great opportunity as far as members of the forever family of God. If you understand God's calling and purpose for those who express that they are a part of the forever family of God. In other words, if you are born again and spirit-filled according to God's Bible design, then God has called you and purpose for you to live your life in a certain way. And it's very important that you hear that. So many today think that God is all about just looking down, and this is a great time of the year for me to, to be able to say to you, many believe that God is just this big Santa Claus in the sky, and we just sit on His knee, and we give Him our wish list, and He says, oh, that's what you want. Oh, I would be so happy to do that for you. Listen, God has a plan. That plan involves salvation for you and myself. We do not come into this present existence, into this world, with eternal life. We have to find that by God's plan, which is expressed in the Word of God. That's what the faith is all about, and that's what Jude's trying to help us to understand. So we're going to jump right on into it. I don't want to preach before I preach so uh, I want to take you to one of the additional passages of Scripture that we're going to be looking at. Jude is our text passage. That's chapter 1 of Jude, by the way. But I want to take you right now to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want to read one verse, and that's verse 12. And here's what he says. Fight. Fight. Boy, there's some church folks like, oh, I love that. <laughs> the Bible tells us to fight. But notice what it says. Fight. The good fight of the faith. The good fight of the faith. He goes on to say, Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, to which you were called when you made the good confession before many witnesses. And I'm going to stop right there. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for every man, woman, boy, and girl that's turned on this telecast. 
And I pray that uh, by whatever means they're listening, that you would speak to their hearts by your word. Not only their ears, but their hearts, that their minds might be renewed and they may be, uh, be able and enabled to live their life in such a way as would please you. We pray for a special anointing on this program in the ears of each one that listens. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Please be encouraged to listen intently to this. This is one of those messages you may have to listen to a little bit and back up. Listen to a little bit and back up, but it will be worthwhile. God bless. But as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace, he's beginning to get over into the, the new covenant. God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Now watch this. This truth prompted some loophole seekers. You understand loophole seekers? You know, it's those people that ask me all the time, Pastor Terry, can I do this and still go to heaven? What are you not thinking? Stick with me. I'm talking to you if you have that kind of a, an opinion about things. What can I get by with and still be a Christian? What in the world are you not thinking? This truth prompted some loophole seekers to ask. Romans chapter 6 verse 1. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? In other words, these goomers were saying, the more you sin, the more grace you receive. Grace is good, so we should sin more, right? That was my, what you talking about, Willis, look, in case you're wondering. What I've just described for you is redefining grace. Redefining grace. Listen carefully. In particular, if you were born and raised in the Bible Belt. Sometimes I think Henry County, Virginia is the buckle of that belt. Number eight on your study notes. God's grace. Listen carefully. I'm speaking slowly. God's grace, though it indeed provides... A, for a, really a fundamental way of saying it is provides a covering for sin. It's deeper than that. But though it provides a covering for sin, it is not a license to sin. Now before you tune me out and say, that's not what my grandma told me, that's what, not what my daddy told me. That's not what I heard over yonder. Listen to the Word of God for the next few moments. Though it indeed provides a covering for sin, it is not a license to sin. Pastor Terry, what is the difference? What is the difference? What are you talking about? Listen, I can help you understand what grace is by exploring what it ain't. Hmm? Look at this, Romans 6, 1. Paul asked a question. Should we keep on sinning? That's a good question. Do you hear that question when people say to me, Pastor Terry, <coughs> I've got a question for you. 
What can I get by with and still go to heaven? What are they saying? Can we keep on sinning? This ridiculously ignorant question cheapens the grace of God pitifully. In our time, I'm talking about right now, a very popular theology has cheapened the grace of God, practically inciting persons to celebrate their sin and sinfulness as a mere condition of humanity. I hear it in these ridiculous jokes every now and then, and even church people joking around with one another. The argument sounds something like this. I'm okay. I mean, look at us. We're pretty cool, right? I'm cool. You're cool. I'm okay. You're okay. We all sin. You do it. I do it. So there's no big deal. This sin thing is no big deal. Couldn't be as cool as we are. Can I say something to you with all due respect? The coolest person in this room, and we all know who it is. It's Jay Santuama. But listen, no. The coolest person in this room come into this world with a sin problem. Coolest person in this room. Coolest person you know. Oh, Elvis. Uh-huh. I mean, he, him and the Fonz were, they, they kind of define cool, right? Fonz? You kids don't even know what I'm talking about. It comes on TV land at 9 o'clock, Okay. The coolest person you know come into this world with a sin problem. And if they don't meet with Jesus, sometimes before they draw their last breath, they're going to go out of this world cool but lost. Sin is a big deal. Will you write that on your study note somewhere? Sin is a big deal. Why, Pastor Terry? Because you don't fancy it. And, and by the way, are you just talking about your little pet sins that I do and you've kind of gotten over it? No, no, no. Sin is a big deal. And I'm going to tell you why. Here's a very simple Bible answer. Are you ready for this? Sin is a big deal because it cost Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son, His life. His life. If your life were required of you for something, how many of you have to know that thing would have to be very important and very significant? Fill in number nine on your study notes. We're getting close to the end. Jesus gave his life in order to change yours. He did not endure the cross so that you might continue as before with no consciousness of his sacrifice or no regard for his sacrifice. Listen to me, beloved. Living out a sin-glorifying lifestyle is the epitome of anti-Christ behavior. Think about that. I beg you again this morning, please. Do not be one of those that cheapens or reduces or trivializes the grace of God. Refuse to cozy up 
to sin. Do you know some church folks that cozy up to sin? Listen to me. Sin is a pathetic lover. It will use you and abuse you and leave you and come back next week and abuse you and use you and leave you and come back next week. That's sin. It's a terrible lover. You don't want to go there. Jude makes clear the plan of God for such as these he's talking about is condemnation. Listen to me, friends. I'm trying to to hasten here. Long ago, God determined there would be consequences for sin. I'm going to talk to you about that next week, the Lord willing, when we look at verses 5 through 11. So what's Paul's answer? Should we keep on sinning? Should we tarry in sin? Should we persist in sin? Verse 2 of Romans chapter 6 says it this way. The, the, the original language puts it like this. Never may it be. Never. Do not keep on persisting in sin. The New Living Translation says, of course not. That's the version I have on your screen this morning. Of course not. Holman puts it this way. Absolutely not. A watch. Wiggle around a little bit. I know after I preach two hours, your setter's about wore out and your ears shut down, but I want you to catch this. I'm in my closing segment. Say amen right there. Why not? Why not keep on sinning? Here's what so many miss, and it's so important for you to understand this. I have two friends. One of them's named Matthew Henry. The other one's named Albert Barnes. And they wrote two really great commentaries. And here's what they say. My buddy, Mr. Henry, says true believers are dead to sin. You understand how that flies in the face of, I'm okay, you're okay, well, I'll do it, it's no big deal. True believers are dead to sin. Therefore, they ought not to follow it. Mr. Barnes embellishes that. We are dead in fact to sin. It is just as absurd to suppose that a Christian, a follower of Christ, should desire to live in sin as that a dead man should put forth actions of life. I trust this is not too close for some of you, but you know, when you walk by to pay your final respects and you look at that loved one laying in that casket or coffin, as the case might be, and, and you say something like, boy, don't they look natural. Think about, good Lord, <laughs> if that looks natural, I don't say much for them. But if about that time they opened one eye, it said, come here. Are you following me? What in the world would you do? You'd be like Daryl Waltrip, boogity, 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 boogity. You'd get out of that funeral home, I got a feeling. Are you with me? Dead people have this one overarching characteristic. They're dead. They're gone. They don't breathe. They don't do anything. Fakers and pretenders do not get this. Fill in number 10 with me on your study notes. According to the Word, what am I preaching from this morning? Wasn't the Reader's Digest. Obviously, I didn't get this message in the mail (laughs) from sermons or us. I'm preaching from the Bible. According to the Word, the old sinful lifestyle is dead. Watch this, church. It doesn't have the flu. 
It doesn't have a plague. It didn't have a mild heart attack. It did not have a stroke. It's not paralyzed. It's, say it with me, dead. That's what the Bible says. Watch this. Fakers, those that secretly slip in, they insist on resurrecting it. Don't be a faker. Can you be encouraged to be a mover and a shaker? Move in the Spirit and shake things up. We're not to live in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Are you beginning to understand that? That means it doesn't look like the old days. It's supernatural. You've been supercharged. Live differently. Hallelujah. Here's what Romans 8 and 1 says. Read now the same Bible. Therefore, in light of these things, there is now no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want to encourage you this morning, New Life Community Church, to praise the complete plan. Don't attempt to modify the plan or to rewrite grace as the case might be. You can put your study notes up. There's some stuff I'm about to tell you that deserve to be on those notes, but I don't want you to be distracted right here. I am understanding better after preaching this for 40 years. And hang on, I don't about preach myself out of breath. I'm beginning to understand that there are people looking back at me right now. I don't know how old men do this. Lord have mercy. People say, Pastor Terry, I don't understand this new life you're talking about. I'm not talking about our church fellowship. I'm talking about the born again, spirit-filled experience. I don't understand it because I still mess up. I messed up yesterday and I messed up four times Tuesday and I almost messed up this morning, but I caught myself. I still mess up. Here's the key. You ready for this? Here's the key. When you mess up, which you're gonna, when you mess up, be aware of what. Say what. Be aware of what messed up. It's certainly not the old dead you. One good thing about being deceased, you won't mess up. <laughs> That's funny right there. I don't care who you are. It's not the old dead you. It's the new born again you. Watch this. That has a mind and a body that isn't quite there yet. For the born-again, spirit-filled saint of God, I believe this. I believe an incidence of sinful thought in your mind, the soulless realm, or action outwardly, the flesh, it prompts immediate remorse. That's the way it works with me. I'm assuming that's the way it is with you. And let me show you why I think that's true. Go with me to Matthew chapter 26. Now, this is pre-Pentecost. It's pre-spirit infilling. I get that. And it's concerning old Peter, who was a pretty impetuous character. But it outlines what I'm trying to say to you this morning. Matthew 26, 75. Boy, what a long chapter that is. It says this. Now, this is, 
uh, after the, uh, the, the trial of, of Jesus, and Peter's just went brain dead. I mean, man, he messed up. I'm just telling you, the dude messed up. It says, then Peter remembered, oh my goodness, remembered the word Jesus had spoken. You know, one of the coolest things I can think of, I encourage you to memorize the word of God. But you can't memorize all of it. But it is the word of God. This is the words of Jesus. Peter remembered the word, words of Jesus. Oh my, what happened? It's, and and here, here were those words. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Look what happened. And he, Peter, went outside and wept bitterly. There was remorse for his actions. He knew that Jesus had pegged it and he fell right along into to the mess. He messed up and it caused him some heart ache. How many of you know the word of God is powerful? In fact, Hebrews makes it clear that it can cut to the bone and it's discerning. And even when our attitude not what I say, but what I think. Even my attitudes, when they are counter to or opposite of the mind of Christ, Holy Spirit brings to my memory, brings to our memory, brings to our thoughts the Word. Here's the way that works. When Holy Spirit helps me compare my messes to God's blesses, his word. I am immediately prompted to repent and to dabble in those messes no longer. Some of you have never put this together before. It's a Bible truth. I call it Holy Spirit conviction. You can call it whatever you want to call it, but I would advise you to refuse to dismiss it. The psalmist, certainly pre-Pentecost, said, and this is the word of God, it's true, it hasn't changed. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Aren't you thankful for that? How much more profound is that when we have Holy Spirit indwelling within? I'm closing my Bible. For you newcomers, that doesn't mean a lot. Since my spiritual birth date, May the 8th, 1973, somewhere between 7 and 9 o'clock in the evening. Since that time, I find myself with this genuine, moving, inward desire to please the one who gave it all so that I might have it all. It's no longer about that which I might get by with. Much rather it's about that which I might express to bring glory and honor to my precious Savior, my Redeemer, my Abba Father. It's about Him. Jude says we've been entrusted with this good news to fight for it, to contend for it, not squander it and acquiesce to the fakers. Pray with me.
beloved, we're going to wrap it up right there by asking this. Are you living your life in the let me see what I can get by with mode? Or have you purposed in your heart each and every day to live your life in a way that is pleasing to the Lord? To read and study the instruction manual, God's Word to us, and I'm talking about the Bible, and then in the power of the Spirit, seek to live that out. Or are you one of those that says, yeah, you know, I read the Bible once, or I read parts of it once, or I heard some preacher talking about it once, and now I've kind of laid that aside, and I'm just going on doing my own thing. I'm saved, I'm headed to heaven, everything's cool, I'm just going to live a lifestyle according to my own agenda. Well, that's not right. It's not biblical. God has called us and purposed for us a lifestyle of holiness, which means laying aside our own agenda in order to pursue God's agenda. I can't be serious enough about this is to encourage folks to know and understand that what I just said is significantly true. And I pray for you, whoever you are, whoever may be listening to this telecast right now by whatever means, that you would get a hold of that truth again, not just in your head, but in your heart, in your spirit, man, and really understand what it means to be born again, born anew of the Spirit, Spirit-filled, and living your life in a way that is pleasing to God. It's a changed life. It's a different life. It is a purposed life. And it is a blessed life if you get these other elements in place. So many today want the blessed life without these other commitments that we've talked about. It will not fly. It will not work. And that's why so many are disappointed as they attempt to live out the Christian life in the power of the flesh. And it doesn't work. And they're like, well, there must not be anything to this Christianity deal. No, that's not true. Like anything, it must be done right. It must be done according to the plan, and in this case, God's plan, in order for you to derive, to derive the utmost benefit. Father, I pray for every person listening right now, and I pray that by your word that you uh, piqued their hearts, piqued their interest, and drawn them to your truth. May they know and understand that you do have a plan for their life, it not only involves their happiness, but their holiness. I pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, I want to take this opportunity before I get out of here to remind you that we do have a regular schedule of activities here at New Life Community Church. We're trying to be safe, but we're also trying to do what the Lord told us to do, and that is not to forsake the assembling together. So we're coming together Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We also have midweek activities Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock. And there's a lot of other activities taking place uh, online, in person, lives. I could go on and on and on about the activities here, but uh, we'd love to have you be a part of what's taking place. If you're looking for a place where the Word of God is preached and taught in a balanced way, but in a way that holds people accountable, then we may just be exactly what you're looking for. There's some contact information there on the screen if you'd like to get a hold of us. And before I do go off, I do want to remind you, if you'd kind of hover over that little icon, if you're listening by way uh, or listening online, if you'd hover over that, a little subscribe button will come up. If you'd click on that, we would appreciate that so very much. I'm Terry Knight, and the pastor of New Life Community Church. Trust you're going to have a great week. Remember, my friends, Jesus is coming back. 
Is he coming back?